Lifted Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio this afternoon with me, Sam Hales. This is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine. It's the magazine that I edit, Premier Christianity, a monthly publication. And if you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, you can request one. Just go to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. But for now, this Saturday afternoon on The Profile, I'm delighted to say I'm speaking to the chief executive and the co-founder of Christian Concern, Andrea Williams. Christian Concern was set up to infuse a biblical worldview into every aspect of society, to provide a strong Christian voice in the public sphere, and also to argue passionately for the truth of the gospel. Andrea is the director as well of the sister organisation, Christian Legal Centre, which has provided support to Christians in a number of high-profile legal cases. And we might get to talking uh, about some of those later on in the show. But for now, Andrea, welcome along to The Profile. It's great to be here. I'd love to know, first of all, what does the average day look like for the director of Christian (laughs) Concern? Well, there in many ways there is no there is no average day in um, the life of christian concern and the christian legal center certainly not for me one thing is for sure i really do try and get up in the morning and start my day um committing the day uh, to to the lord jesus christ um praying um, I seek to then, I also always go out either for a run or a workout because I don't know. So, it's, so my day starts really early because I love to clear that off because it's just a, a great way to set uh, set up the day. Certainly um, until this year when I've become a bit of an empty nester. But until um, my early morning was very much focused around the children and ensuring four, four wonderful children, but really ensuring that the children um, had all that they needed in order to get to school um, that they had a good breakfast in them and that they could get to school and do their do their day well um of course sometimes the the day may the the day may be a for a media furore mm-hmm. it might be going to court mm-hmm. um, and sitting there supporting the client as we take uh him or her through their legal case yeah. um it could be um sitting down with the team and really working working out the issues of the day and how we respond to them, how we seek to be a voice for Jesus Christ, preparing on those things, managing now a team of 25, managing... So it's busy and it is varied. Yeah, it sounds it for sure. Coming to people like you. Yes, coming here, (laughs) coming here to Premier Christian Radio and chatting. um, And we'll talk lots more about Christian concern. But for now on the show, we like to always go back to a person's early life. I understand you became a Christian in in Sunday school. So has Christian faith kind of always been there for you? Very much so. I can't really uh, remember not loving uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, my parents are now Christians, and there's a sense in which being put on that bus to go to Sunday school when I was just four, the, Met- the local Methodist church came around the um, the local estate where we lived, and my parents at that time were, were not Christians, but they put their little girl on the bus. I was only four. Um, and through that, through that... It's not just me, but it's my sister and my brother, born 16 years after me, and my parents. The whole family wow. has become Christian. So the work, just the work of a Sunday school, mm. uh, the work of actually getting out and collecting the children, 
there might be a few issues with more issues with that nowadays with the whole safeguarding and, mm. and so on and so forth. But that's what happened yeah. with me. And there I was uh, brought into the most wonderful family of particularly of Sunday school teachers that really loved the Lord Jesus Christ, Mr. and Mrs. Hibbs, Mr. and Mrs. Hicks. They told me about Jesus and uh, I can't remember not loving him. They introduced me to the Bible. I used to really listen, do everything they told me. We used to have these little tip-top forms they were called and we would fill them in every week and without fail I would do that we would have to learn a bible verse every week without fail I would do that (laughs) and I was junior missionary association putting our pennies into a box and submitting it every year without fail I would do that I just loved the Lord Jesus I loved them and I was like a little sponge and and I think that the thing to that I cherish about that and I really remember about that is that this is a vital work. We work in, in communities, um, but also that the Lord was arresting me at a very yeah. early yeah. a very early uh, age. And I guess, as you tell the story, you immediately took to all of that and to what it means to be a Christian. Were there any moments in your life since where there's been major doubts or has it been quite sort of smooth sailing since then? I, oh, I have, I have wrestled with faith. I think the fact that for a time, uh, at points, um, I think that for... A time, there's a sense in which in my home life, because I so loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and at the time, not everyone around me was Christian. There was no way I was there was I was going to rebel. <laughs> I wasn't in a context whereby there were lots of givens. Yeah. I really loved Jesus, yeah. and I wanted to go to church. And as I grew older, I wanted to um, to be a witness to Him mm. within the family, the yeah. family context, and beyond. But I think that when I was, in terms of challenge. I think as I grew older, my faith became, I began to understand what it really meant. The idea that anybody would be lost to hell when I was a teenager, I was 15 or 16. The idea of this good and glorious God who sent his only son to die for each one of us. That great and glorious truth, but also the reality that it meant a heaven and hell, that some people that I loved might be in hell, that crippled me. Hmm. Um, the I just the idea of it yeah. because I couldn't bear the idea of anyone being there. Yeah. Um, but you, of course, there is no answer. I mean, you if you if you abandon that truth, there there is, is the, any other alternative is bleaker. Um, and I again, when I was a teenager, um, in a in one week, uh, in one week I was uh, in in sick form. So sixteen sixteen to seventeen, I lost um, three friends. And one uh, to death, one had been this young man who was a little bit older than me, a couple of years older than me, and he used to follow me around on his moped. I grew up in Portland in Dorset. And, and he used to say, I'm going to marry you one day. I love you. And he, um, he had a terrible accident on his moped and he died. And I was just heartbroken because I was a, quite prim and I wasn't going to have a boyfriend. And I used to say, I'm not ready to have a boyfriend yet. <laughs> And I, and I remember just that, that absolutely devastated me. But in that week as well, um, and th- I mean, it sounds so extreme, but it was, it, this happened in one week. Um, a, a young man at school um, died in a windsurfing accident. We, we grew up in Weymouth and Dorset, Portland, Weymouth and Dorset. And so there was a lot of windsurfing and he died in a windsurfing accident. And also a friend that was disabled died. And I remember um, 
shutting the door of my bedroom and wailing and and crying and uh, for a long time and not eating and not going and uh, I can't remember if I physically did this but it was it was a feeling of I can't look at the bible I can't this this is too much this is too much to bear um death is ugly and this is unwelcome and it's premature and it's and there I can make no sense of this but I made myself so upset um over over a period of a couple of weeks and unwell it wasn't until I it wasn't until I gave in and allowed the peace of God to enter my heart and soul again that I could begin to rest and to wrestle um I I think of those people um I still remember that and I and I and I remember the care I have for them and it's been and but it was formative mm. but I think that knowing that that there is nowhere to go in that desolation but to the Lord Jesus to give the eternal right. perspective that only in him is their hope so so ultimately it didn't ultimately it didn't damage your faith it made you more convinced of ever of the realities you say of heaven and hell of Jesus being the only way even though you'd had very close-up experience of some real tragedy I think that that the um I think that was the closest in just this in terms of mm. formation yeah. as a child. This was the the closest I ever came to saying, "Yeah, I can't. This, this I can't. Do, mm. I don't believe this." Sure. Because after that, really, as I was, so I was seventeen or eighteen. Mm. I was then um, on a path, um, having come through that, always on this path of loving him the urgency of the hour mm -hmm. the importance of the truth mm -hmm. i mean uh, you, you talk about that kind of urgency and I'm, I'm thinking well surely the next logical step on your journey is to go and be a missionary or an evangelist uh but i don't think you did i think you went off to study law at university well this again um this is exactly it but it, it's interesting what the lord does and how you understand it from a i'm 50 53 and how you understand it with, at age 53 um Reversing the story a little bit again, I was at home with chicken pox um, and I watched Crown Court on the television. I was aged about eight. And I said to my mum, when I grow up, I'm going to be a barrister and I'm never going to change my mind. <laughs> and that night um, I was praying. I mean, most eight-year-olds don't know what a barrister is. I mean, that's... <laughs> but if they watch Crown Court, <laughs> if they watch Crown Court, then they would. So um, I was... I was, I basically went to, every night I would pray on my basil brush carpet by the by my bunk bed. And that night I went and I prayed and I see it, said my usual prayer, God bless mum, God bless dad, God bless Sam the cat, amen. And then there was a PS. And dear Lord Jesus, if it is your will, please may I pass the 11 plus so that I can go to the grammar school so that I can become a barrister. Right. And I prayed that prayer every single night without fail because I figured that the only way that a little girl like me had any chance of becoming a barrister was um, if I passed the 11 plus. Mm -hmm. And the Lord granted that me, that little girl, the desire of my heart. Yeah. And I was one, just a couple of children uh, that went across um, to uh, Weymouth from Portland 
to Weymouth Grammar School. And there my eyes were very fixed on uh, studying because I, I had all the way through this desire, this intent um, to become a barrister, to right. go to university to study law. It never yeah. wavered. When I was 15, um, so this was in fact j- just before that kind of really contending with those those questions of faith, the big questions of faith. When I was about 15, I went to, came up here to London to the Methodist Central Hall and there was a big Methodist conference because there was a Methodist Sunday school that I grew up in and they there was a calling for missionaries and who wants to go and win the world for Jesus yeah. Christ? And I stood up and I said, Lord Jesus, I'm surrendered. I'll go wherever you have me go. I'll do whatever you'll have me do but please can I still be a barrister? <laughs> and there's, and that really was it. I, can't, I, I always had in my heart that I was ready to go wherever yeah. the Lord Jesus would have me go. I remember thinking, this is a weird thing, that I remember thinking at the time, um, because I think we were talking about going to the ends of the earth and mm-hmm. what might be required culturally. And I remember thinking, I don't really necessarily want to be undercover or covered up. I remember thinking that like in a flash, Mm. almost not articulated. But I remember being surrendered and ready. I still feel surrendered and ready to have do whatever the Lord would have me do. And I then proceeded on my track of becoming a barrister, went to Cardiff University and Pisa University and studied law, then to the Inns of Court School of Law, then uh, called to the bar at the Inner Temple, practiced in... Two Dr. Johnsons and Bolt Court, criminal and family law, and had some extraordinary experiences over seven years um, at, at, at the bar. But during that time, got to know Lord Denning, got to know a number of senior Christian judici- judiciary and senior members of the legal profession, was very involved there, very involved in doing outreach amongst lawyers. Is this how the Christian lawyers, where your involvement came in the Christian Lawyers Fellowship then? Correct. That was so. That was the the Lawyers Christian Fellowship. Um, that's how it all started with Valgrieve and Neville Knox. At that time, they had no paid workers. They'd been a prayer union for almost a hundred years, and I just loved the work of because the kind of the mission we got the you know just a real heart to see people one for the Lord Jesus Christ to see to see my when I was at university to see my 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 friends went for the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember at school we did a mission with J. John. This was kind of before J. John was um, really well known. And he came with Eric Delve and uh, the Christian Union was in my school. And I remember that the the whole school was turned upside down. And we would be singing with our guitars in the in assembly. The whole school was turned upside down. And I thought, wow, this can happen. And I went to university and I thought, this can happen. We can see the whole university turned upside down. Came to down to earth with a bit of a bump on that <laughs> one. But the heart was there because I'd seen, you know, I'd seen my friends yeah. really ignited for the gospel um, at age 17, 18. So tell me how um, Christian Concern then came about out of the, the lawyers' Christian fellowship that you're in. During the, when I was at the bar, um, the I, be, I was asked by Val Grieve and Neville Knox to pioneer the student ministry. There'd never been anyone dedicated to the student ministry. So with Claire Speak, 
Um, she gave 15 hours a week. She was a solicitor. She trained as a solicitor and I trained as a barrister. On top of my practice, I committed to 15 hours a week. So many evenings and many weekends, <laughs> yeah. um, I would travel around the country or visit law schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also um, took weeks out of work in order to do this, to go yeah. a bit further afield really to get to know the students and to try and facilitate, doing a little bit what UCCF does, but it was at that time the law colleges were quite distinct. Mm -hmm. It was a distinct field, which was nice to go and reach and really to get them thinking about how to do evangelism. And the the focus was evangelism, winning winning the fellow students to Jesus Christ. But really to think about that through, but also, you know, we used to do mock trials. We used to put Jesus on trial, all those kind of things that we used to do. It's reminding me of some famous books about, you know, Case for Christ. That's it, that's it, that's it, exactly. Investigating from a legal legal perspective. Exactly, and Val Grieve did, that was Val Grieve did that book right. and there was um so we did a lot of that yeah. um which was great yeah um and it was during that time so we're talking um I also was pioneering the London work of the Lawyers Christian Fellowship at that time and um it was in the 90s and that's when we really began to see um the impact of human rights legislation and a move away from common law, common law being, in a sense, it's biblical law, it's being rooted in our biblical heritage, um, rooted in a common law framework, at least in a natural law framework, really in a biblical framework. If you look at our jurisprudence, if you look at the coronation oath, if you look at these things, you will see that so much mm. of the way in which we frame the law yeah. was in Christian and biblical precepts. And I think I think a lot of Christians would agree with that. And they'd say as time has gone on, perhaps our laws have become, or the way we think as a society more broadly has changed. We have become more secular. Is that not just a natural consequence of less and less people in this country identifying as Christians? It's going to mean there's a knock-on effect on law or in any other area of society where it's going to feel less Christian? Well, there's a sense in which the the government, so the the legislature, um, is a reflection of the church within the nation. And there is very much a sense in which how we are as a church and of and how visible we are um, will reflect how the laws are. If the culture is highly secular, then it's inevitable mm. that the laws will follow. Yeah, and um, and that's our challenge. I mean, there's a sense in which we are that you know when I my passion as a young as a young person, indeed, it, it runs through me still today. Um, and for many years, my husband and I we we loved, um, we did, when in my 20s was, again, where I really learned to love the Bible, really understanding the Bible at another level again, was under was under Dick Lucas and um, Hugh Palmer, Nigel Stiles, Richard Cunningham in the 1980s in St. Helens. I grew to really love the Word of God and really studying it deeply, but there, to see how the Bible can transform individuals' lives was amazing. And doing the one-on-one work and doing um, small group work and seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus was fantastic. Um, but I think that we, and I love still to do that, but there's 
very much so and I lament that I haven't got the time to do what's needed in one-on-one situations in mm. the same way anymore but it's not just as Christians that we disciple individuals although of course that's very important or that we seek to bring individuals to Christ we're called to disciple to go and win nations for Jesus Christ right you I know? guess some people though would say well the way we'll see the nation turn around the way we'll see more Christian laws, as if there's more Christians in the country to make those laws. So they would say the one-to-one work you say you don't have time for, that's more important than the political campaigning. That must be a kind of reaction you've heard before. How, how do you deal with that kind of Yes, criticism? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think there's a, there's a sense in, um, in, of course, you know, we've got to keep on doing the one-on-one work, but it's not happening fast enough. Right. You know, you want to see well, bigger so, so, no, no, so there is a reality that people have been saying this for a very long time. Mm. But um, and also we've allowed ourselves as a church to become quite privatized. So there's a sense in which we accept that we are one viewpoint amongst many when actually Jesus Christ is king. He's king and he rules and he reigns and he's wonderful and he's glorious and his truth is good for everyone. It's good for all. And so we're not it's not we cannot narrow the gospel because actually how we live will have an impact on our family. It will have an impact on our town, on our community, and our churches should be the beacon on the hill of every town, uh, every village. And we should also have a corporate witness to Parliament. Parliament's only 610 politicians or so. You know, that's not many people. And so we, the the vibrancy and the beauty and and glorious good of the gospel should be clear there. Mm. And our voice should be clear. And that takes us back to the story of why you would start something like Christian Concern (laughs) to reach people in Parliament. Um, We need to talk about Tony Blair, obviously. Uh, Tony Blair was quite... uh, There's a wonderful little story here about how Christian Concern has Tony Blair to thank for one of your early successes. (laughs) Do you want to tell the story of what happened? Yeah, well, that was the... um, During the Religious religious Hatred Bill... Um, so we're talking back into um, the early noughties, so we're, uh, 2004, um, 2005. Um, so our very our very freedom to preach the gospel was under attack uh, at that point because of legislation that was being uh, pushed through. Mm-hmm. We had, I'd worked with Mike Ovey, the late Mike Ovey, who was a, an absolutely amazing, not just an amazing theologian, but an uh, amazing parliamentary draftsman who really understood uh, the dangers of the legislation that was before us. It, what, what could have happened is that we would have been liable to imprisonment if someone had taken offence of what we said. Right. Um, and um, the vote on this was um, going to be very close. In fact, it was... There was one vote unwinnable. in it, really, wasn't there? There was one vote in it. The whips, just before that vote um, was taken, told Tony Blair that it was okay. He could go. He could go home. Right, because they he were did. so confident yeah, that, that it was going to be. Pass. Yes, and he left the chamber, and literally within the hour, um, the vote, the the critical vote was was taken. He'd left the chamber, and uh, our freedom to continue to preach the gospel was spun. By that, by him leaving that chamber. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had um, many sort of cases since then, both in pushing through for certain legislation or pushing against certain legislation. We've, we'll also come and talk about some of your work in the courts. But when you look at Christian Concern, the various campaigns you've done over now 10 plus years, what has been your biggest success? Um, I think there's, it's true that Christian Concern is in, 
in its current form as it is now is is ten is ten years. I qualified in 1988, so for me, I feel that I've been in this field for for 30 years in in one way um, or another. And the the missionary idea is that I see now that that was I see that that's what God was placing on my heart and the commitment to Him to go wherever He'd have me go. And therefore, the understanding that this is where God would have me now at this time in my nation, in the nation that I really love, um, that all of that that is clear. That's clear to me now, and I, and it sort of slightly makes me t- take a deep breath because it's quite awesome, and and it's and I and I feel a very privileged participant, and I feel the need to stay close and seek Him, and I. So I think, what is the what is the greatest marvel? What is the greatest achievement? It is that we exist. So it's not it, that there's a particular campaign we, or a particular. It is that we keep on pressing on. Um, that that no matter what is thrown at us, sometimes I feel like we've had divine rescues. But I, what I can really say at the heart of Christian concern, the Christian Legal Centre, and those of us that worked before it. In, a work, in works that were leading towards it. We came at it from different angles. What I can really say in, in, in all of it is that we have sought um, to speak the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you Christ wouldn't pick out a particular them. campaign or a particular success? No, no, because, because actually um, sometimes losing, losing is winning, if you see what I mean. Because actually what matters is to contend for the gospel where it is under attack and to speak to seek to witness to the truth and we must do that of course oh we must do that bravely but mm. we must do that wisely I, I guess you know a skeptic might say you know, if, if losing is winning that's great for the fundraising strategy right because if you go let's say you're, you're fighting some sort of unwinnable case let's say in the court and let's say you do lose oh no well, i never would say that i i've no well, let, me, let me want to say this when i started out when i was at the bar my track record was fantastic. Criminal cases, family cases. My track record was fantastic. I'm not doubting was, that. No, no, I'm just no, saying, in theory, no, if you were to yeah. lose a case, you'd yeah. be able to tell people, look, we're losing in the yeah. courts. You need to support us. Yeah, yeah. And if you win a case, you better tell people, look, you need to support <laughs> us because we're winning in the courts. So you say losing is winning. Is yeah. that, is that I not was the certainly, case? I, money on, on that score, money would never, it's just not in my head. Seriously, it's not in my head. Um, the... At Christian Concern, the Christian Legal Centre, I can honestly say this, that almost since our existence, um, every penny that's come in has gone right back out for the cause of the gospel. And almost every month, every penny that comes in goes right back out. And at the very beginning, um, you know, sometimes we've faced big bills and I've not known how we're going to pay them. And the Lord has never let us down. And and it is miraculous. If we want to talk about what a miracle is, it's God's provision mm. for us. At the beginning, when we were doing these cases, um, nurses offering prayer, if you told me in the 80s that I would be doing these cases um, in the United Kingdom, I said, that's ridiculous. That will never happen in the United Kingdom. No one will ever lose their job because they've off- offered prayer or because they talk about Jesus or because they say that marriage is between a man and a woman. So doing the cases was always about, um, as it always had been, the reason why as a little girl I wanted to become a barrister and believed was because I wanted to do justice. That brings us to the end of part one of today's show, but join us again to hear more from Andrea Williams right after this.
Premier Christianity magazine. In this month's issue. Another street preacher arrested. A nurse sacked for sharing her faith. Many are asking, is secularism on the rise? And if so, what should we do about it? Plus, we interview Christian Concerns' Andrea Williams, the worship leader, Lou Fellingham, and the woman who survived the Rwandan genocide and learned to forgive her enemies. And if you're wondering which of the many Christian festivals to attend this summer, we've got a quiz to help you decide. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the monthly magazine that sponsors this show. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, just go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. But for now, time to rejoin my interview with Andrea Williams from Christian Concern. Let's listen in. Is there a particular figure or role model that you have who you think that's someone who's particularly inspired me or someone who's kind of be a, been a pioneer in this kind of work that you have followed in the footsteps of? I think that what's interesting about this work is not so much that, and this has been the surprise, it's not, it wasn't modelled before me. It It wasn't really didn't exist right. or oh, I say before me I mean but before us and um, I rejoice in that and today I sit across from you and I rejoice in that because his grace has brought me that thus far mm. and I also have a really wonderful husband fantastic children wonderful local minister how, how do your kids feel though if you're I don't know on a let's say a mainstream television channel I won't name any of them and you're really getting some aggressive questioning let's put it that way yeah and you're in the media a lot yeah d- d- does that have any family kind of ramifications of the members of your family who kind of think rather not see mum know, doing that mum or wife you know yeah. getting lambasted on tv or in the media that yeah. must be quite hard I think they've no, they've not known anything else. The children have not known anything else, and it was interesting because I was very happily going back to the bar after um, three children, um, and then I was ha- very happily. I'd taken obviously time out to be with the children when they were small, and I thought I'm going back to criminal and family law um, because already some of these issues had begun, and I and it was getting complex, and. Um, I was going back and the Lord gave us our precious and darling fourth child. And my husband said to me, that's because the Lord wants you where you are. And we call her the public policy baby. And there's a sense in which we always say she she's the public policy baby. And in that moment, in that moment, I knew it was like this. I knew that I was never going back to the chambers that I loved right. and criminal. I knew that this was my life. Yeah. My life was in doing this kind of Christian legal Campaigning. campaigning. But also, in that moment, I knew from the Lord that the children were covered. Now, don't take that for granted. I pray for them all the time. They are my normality. When I go home, (laughs) when I go home, I am. They also call me up. They hold me up. They make fun of me. They laugh at me. They do all of those things. You know, so they're, but, um, and sometimes they get cross and sometimes they get upset. Mm. They see me at my worst. They see me weep. They see me hurt. 
Um, they sometimes, they see me like in the vulnerability. They also see me not so nice because sometimes those brickbacks can make me not so nice. Um, and so they sometimes see what, you know, a rawness and that is sometimes a bit unfiltered and not as godly as it should be. Um, so all of that stuff they see. But you know, I love the Lord Jesus. I really love them. And I'm compelled to do this work. I am compelled. And to it, do seemed, the w- it seems that quite literally nothing can stop you. We should mention <laughs> you've, you've been through a recent cancer battle, haven't you? You want to talk a, a bit about yes. that as well? I mean, even that is a very significant health challenge has not stopped you in this work one bit, it would seem. Um, you know, Nick, I think that with the cancer, um, the, again, what it meant, what it demonstrated to me once more, it, it was like it, it came out of nowhere. Um, it's about 10 years since my first diagnosis. And um, I was fit, I, so it came out of nowhere. I then got really sick during the cancer and at one point was close to death. And there was no money in the bank at Christian Concern. I thought that was that was it. And um, my the staff at the time, just a tiny staff, said, we're not giving up, Andrew. We're never giving up. Not till there really is no money in the bank. And here we are hmm. um, with 25 people <laughs> in, in the office. So I am, I never think this work belongs to me. I never. I. I'm always the privileged participant. It belongs to, you know. It's 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 the thing that the Lord has given us to do, and it, and, and, and I really saw that in the can, you know, in the cancer. And with the with the cancer, I was unwell, um, during that for the beginning bit. But it was never. I if I came through, if I came through the chemotherapy, and if the results were clear then there was a chance that I would live mm-hmm. and every year I lived there was a chance that I would live I would live right and then the diagnosis of um uh tissue in the uh, um in the womb came um in 2016 um and th- there the, the consultant said that it was wise to remove the womb and the fallopian tubes and um because that it looked like that, that could become could develop become cancerous. So that's been a more recent battle, which has some made, made me feel a bit physically flat. Um, but again, God, I realize I recognize that somehow I've been given life, and people that I really love have walked something very similar, and have died. And that that's that feels like that's in like an agony to me. Mm. So I thank God for this day. Um, I, I've never, although the, although this is serious, mm. I've never been wiped out. Right. And, yeah. and that, and that's, and so I, so I carry on because yeah. the Lord has never, so I've, because I've never been wiped out. But if I were wiped out, I would respect that I was being wiped out, but <laughs> I haven't been. You know, God's allowed you to continue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the way you put it, I guess. If someone were to ask me for a description of Christian concern, I might be tempted to say something like, well, they're the Christian organization that takes on all the really difficult issues and difficult cases that, frankly, a lot of other Christian organizations would rather not touch because they're politically difficult, let's say. Is that a fair description? Um, I, I very much go, you know, what is the gospel? Um, the gospel 
is not just about Jesus dying for each one of us on the cross. It's about the out of the gospel comes the whole structure of truth from Genesis to Revelation. It is about, you know, you and me, we are made beautifully and wonderfully in the image um, of God. And the quote that's attributed to Luther, I quite very often use, but is, you know, where today is the gospel? um, Where is the gospel under attack? You know, if I um, profess um, that is true, but uh, confess, but do and and um, but don't contend Mm. where the truth is actually under attack. Yeah. So for you, yeah, yeah, I guess for you, there are certain issues that might be difficult to talk about in the media or wherever. But because they're under attack from a Christian point of view, you feel the need to go after them. Well, it's I don't feel the need to go after them, (laughs) Uh, as in um, when when God's very image is under attack when being male or female is under attack when marriage a man and a woman and raising children in that construct when that civilization is under attack actually the how now to live is under, when his very name is under then attack you, then, when his uniqueness is under attack right then what? when islam rises then you then, do feel a need then we then then i am compelled right. to speak his truth because i yeah. believe that that is gospel work i believe right. that that is evangelism I believe that, that that is about you know that is about winning souls because actually if we leave people if we if we leave a nation in this chaos then we'll get to an end state culture where pe- where the conscience is dulled where people cannot know him and if we allow islam to rise you know if we allow islam to rise then our very freedom to preach the gospel will be under attack when you're dealing with as i have in the last few weeks a woman who was subjected to an islamic uh, gang and held captive for 13 years and raped every night for six years eight forced abortions uh, the state then doesn't know what to do because because we've lost the 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 fiber the, the we've we, 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 we it's i imagine many many people not just not just christians yeah. would agree that that particular form of extremism within that particular yeah. ideology religion yeah. call you what you will needs to be tackled they might be though at the same time a little bit uncomfortable with just lumping all of that in in as islam i mean is there not a need to be careful with some of our language when dealing with islam to say we are really attacking the extremist form of this we're not after uh, peace loving muslims you know we're not we're not trying to uh, limit your freedoms i am very much always um i, I mean it's I, what motivates me to speak um, is the love for the Muslims. Um, but you only I, tend to uh, hear Christian concerns talk about the extremist forms of Islam. Well, it's a love for the Muslims. It's it's a love for, if you're talking about the difficult issues, it's, it's a love um, for those that are lost through, you know, and hurting through family breakup. It's a a love for those that are lost because of um, their confusion over their um, gender identity, a lost for the, a love for those that are lost because they're in behaviours um, that, that 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 hurt them, um, and um, we are living it. We are you, this this recent case of Sarah is one of thousands of cases in in our nation. Um, we live. We we have a reality. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to, that we 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 live within our office. You know, with the cases, we we have a reality of what's coming of legislation that's coming out. We we can't just keep on doing church. 
you know it we aren't you know it's not we can't kind of it as in what i, what I mean by that now is that it's it's not a um you know it's not i think our churches are going to be these what they need to be is a place where we um really equip people to understand the culture that we're in yep. a culture that's pretty handed over sort of Romans one handed over where there is a lot of chaos abounding ha- and help people to live in that and help our children to live in that and I think so I think we're going to have to be thinking yes. about schools well, I think and hospitals I guess you know there's different ways of thinking about how we live in today's culture I mean that that reminds me of some other high profile cases you've been involved in that many people will be aware of would have heard the news um, there's, there's been more than one actually but Christian owned bread and breakfast for example where a Christian couple will say we are Christians we are only letting our rooms out to married heterosexual yeah. couples yeah. now some Christians will look at that case and say well part of understanding the culture and the climate we're in yeah, yeah, yeah. is actually to say look, we as Christians want to love everyone mm-hmm. and whoever you are, you can hire our room. That doesn't mean we're approving of whatever you do inside of that room, but because we love you, we're going to let you stay here and we're going to demonstrate Christ's love in other ways. We don't yeah. feel the need to, effectively, yeah. it would be seen as limiting your freedom of not being able to have that room. Yeah. Now, I know you haven't taken that line. Yeah. I know Christian Concern has said would defend that particular couple and say, no, you have a right to say you can't mm-hmm. use that room if you're not heterosexual and married. But mm-hmm. there is a debate here, isn't there, about how actually do we best respond as yeah, Christians? Because yeah, yeah. we all agree about loving people. Yeah, we yeah. all agree about taking a stand for Christ. But the yes. way that's worked out will be very different, won't it? Um, and so I think that um, that was a Christian Institute case, just to, to put that on, on the record. But um, the let's, if we look at that case of Peter and Hazel Mary Ball, um, there was a reality that there were um, they were targeted. There were other bed and breakfasts. Well, there were, there, I don't no, want to get it's too tired. No, no, but no, but just there's been me, more than one oh, case, but, isn't there? But so let's so let's just all right. Then there are there were and we have helped. Other you have cases. Helped, we have helped. helped we have yeah. helped other cases. Yeah. Um, and we've helped to set policies. Mm. Um, but there generally there are hundreds of cases. Uh, hundreds. Most places are quite happy. Will not worry about. Um, what form of relationship people yeah. have that's the first thing yeah. to say that very often that our cases people are tar- targeted in fact the cases that we've we've dealt with people have been targeted right like deliberately gone after Correct. because we know you're a christian Correct. we're going to try and set Correct. you up effectively the other thing is that um in uh cases that we've dealt with um couples have been um same-sex couples have been offered separate rooms it's not that they're being kicked out there's also that the marriage policy has been clear that it's a Christian bed and breakfast and they operate a marriage only policy. So these things are up front um, that, you know, that's and I and justice for that justice for that couple is important. If they want they, actually their conscience, their right to live out their faith, their right to 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 just not to be compelled to do something when they're offering real and real alternatives, um, real alternatives that were being offered. Um, and when it, beca- I mean, when it becomes a point of no, you will be compelled to do this, to accept, to accept, to accept this particular behaviour. I mean, that's that's actually the situation, for instance, in in the bed and bre- in the bed and breakfast, um, in the bed and breakfast cases. And there's a sense in which you know, where does it all of it lead? Well, it, it let's take it to something I'm I am very passionate about. What are we teaching our children? The morality does matter. What people do in their bedroom isn't just a private matter. It does matter. Right. We do legislate for morality. And why? Because actually what happens is our children, our children get taught what society thinks is okay. So what we end up having 
is our primary school children being propag and it is a sort of soft propaganda in terms of relationships, in terms of uh, social norms, in terms of behavior, in terms of who they are. And it's no wonder therefore that children are experimenting, are confused, that we now mm. have counselors would, attached to would, schools. Would you say that um, Christians are, we're currently a minority or we're a majority in this country? What's the best way of thinking about Christians in this in this country? Are we, a, are we now a minority group effectively? Um, there, those that really uh, will live and die for the Lord mm. Jesus Christ are a small The reason I ask that... But can I say, though, I, think, I do think mm. a lot of pe- there's quite a lot of people that, that sort of still... Might tick a box. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, the reason I ask that is we've seen um, in recent years minority groups have arguably a disproportionately yeah. kind of large effect... Yeah on certain laws being yeah. passed. So, for example, the LGBT community in this yeah. country are a minority, but they've obviously had a very successful campaign yeah. to get the law changed on marriage. With that in mind, and there are numerous other examples, some people might say, well, why is it if if those who really, as you say, those who really are Christians or those who really believe the gospel, we're now a minority, why haven't we had a similar level of success in some of these areas in seeing the law changed? Um, I, I think that... There's a sense. I feel that um, the. I think that can only really be explained in spiritual terms. I think it's a spiritual battle, and that's what we have to understand. And that's why um, the need to hold firm to the gospel, the need to stand firm, the need to understand the cultural um, battle that's going on, the, the spiritual warfare that's going on in the culture, um, and also the fact that we have. There is a sense in which we've. Um, you know, we have we've been ashamed of the gospel it's ashamed of jesus and his words ashamed of the truth um and we've we you know we've exchanged the truth at the heart of our culture the truth of jesus christ which was there at the heart of our laws at the heart for yeah. for a lie maybe and we, just to clarify when yeah. you talk about the gospel as I, if i understand it correctly the way you define the gospel it is more than perhaps accepting a theology around Jesus died for your sins. For you, the gospel really is matters of truth on things like abortion or euthanasia or marriage. You, you, yes. would, you would term that in terms of being part of the gospel yeah. itself. Because I think that's a really interesting distinction and that might explain why some other Christian groups have thought very differently from Christian concern because I can think of a lot of other, even evangelical groups who would say, well, we're committed to the gospel, which is effectively seeing souls saved, seeing lives transformed. And there are other other issues that Christians might even disagree on, like exactly how to legislate around abortion. You would take quite a different line to that, wouldn't you? I think there's a, first of all, um, it's about seeing um, seeing as I said, the gospel is the structuration of truth. And that truth is good for the whole of humankind. And Jesus said not to be ashamed of him. When we become, so uh, yes, of course, what's vital is the heaven and hell. What's vital is individual souls. Of course it is. But actually Jesus then talks about going on and discipling one another and nations. And he talks about not being ashamed of him and his words. So when we look at what him and his words mean, mm. it means about contending. You see, when we contend on abortion, we contend for the most vulnerable in our society. Over nine million babies, um, uh, nine million people, and mm. we've got nine million missing citizens since the, the act was passed. And 
you know, hundreds of thousands more, millions more embryos mm. that have been made that have been destroyed. That's a lot of people. Is it fair to say that Christians have kind of given up on that issue for the most part now? We've sort of said, well, law was changed a long time ago on abortion and uh, can't really see that no. moving. No. I think that what's fascinating um, is, and, I, and I'm believing for this, um, there's a rising and new, young and vibrant gener- generation and that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And and they see this as they 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 see this issue as absolutely vital mm-hmm. um, to, to for repentance. I mean, we need to repent. We have there's a sense in which we become our conscience has become so dulled. Unless we speak of these things, we can't begin to weep for the things that we've allowed. You know, and also it's for the women and for the dads, it's for the mums and dads because you know we need to allow people to speak. And you know, they're, they're, it's not it's not just their fault. If, if they've been told at school and everywhere that the answer to an unplanned child um, is, is to abort the child, to mm. kill the child, um, then there's a sense of who can blame them. If that's become your norm. But young people, there's a young and growing movement of Christians who want to make abortion history. That's the mark of a civilised society. How do we care for the most vulnerable? And we will see, we'll see a turn, we'll see a softening of hearts, mm. we'll see life-giving. Do you agree that, because um, many Christians have said this, that, that do you agree that we have sometimes a reputation for a lot of what we're kind of against rather than a lot of what we're for? In order to be for something, sometimes you've got to be against something. And, you know, and, and so, you know, I am so for people, so for seeing people being all that they can be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So for restoration and healing and beauty and lack of harm and lack of guilt and freedom in Jesus Christ and the truth that sets us free. I'm so for the truth and I'm so against the devil's lies and the things that would put us into a hell, either a living hell on this earth or a living hell in eternity. I'm so for people. I'm so for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so against the devil and his tissue of lies that is wrapped around this nation and is basically robbing, robbing through our institutions, through our laws, the innocents, our children's at school, people's lives. It's messing us up. It's messing with our head. And I want people to see clearly I want people to know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I get out of bed every morning thinking that, and no matter what the world throws at me, uh, I know my heart. And I know the heart of the people that work with me. And I know that they love. And I know that we can't be in places and situations uh, where we always tell this, you know, where we try to explain ourselves. You know, we, a lot of what we do, people... Unless you live it, unless you live our cases, you can't understand all the twists and turns and mm. things that are said and not said. You yeah. sometimes get a judgment, which is very often a, a complete distortion of the facts right. by the time it gets to the judgment. You're several years on. I can write those judgments now. I can write the distortions into them. I've sat through so many. Um, you can't, I can't, we can't 
if we had all the words in all the world and all the time, airtime in all the world, we can't explain ourselves. Right. You know? So in, in that sense, is the system stacked against you? Um, there's a sense in which it might feel like it, hmm. but, you know, Jesus wins in the end. Well, let, let's talk about one of those cases, because, you know, you say not always the space to sort of explain all the ins and outs. We've got time to go into one in particular. Um, so, so one of them, which I thought was quite uh, almost a classic example, but there's, there's a few, sadly, I guess, classic examples. I mean, one of them we could talk about out of time is, is street preachers. We've seen this almost time and time again of, of people saying, street preachers saying something on a, on a high street and the police coming along quite quickly, even making arrests. And it seems to me, correct if I'm wrong, it seems to me nine times out of ten, those people are then let go and I think people sort of hold their hands up and say we probably shouldn't have arrested, arrested them in the first place. So they would be successful. Right. Yeah, so we've actually had a 100% success rate on our street yeah, preachers. Yeah, which I think, you know, is one of those areas that I think, uh, and I, I work I work for a Christian magazine, I know yeah. there are lots of issues that Christians disagree on, but I think this yeah. is one where there's quite a lot of agreement really from wherever you're coming from as a Christian that it's yeah. not right to arrest people on the street just for reading the Bible. And it seems yeah. that... While it's concerning, of course, that these arrests are even made in the first place, there is some good news that uh, you know these people are, as you say, 100% record in, in being let out again. And, and the it's not police just them. I mean, it's mistake. not just them. Because what I can say is what people don't see about uh, Christian Concern and the Christian Legal Centre is that we were just talking about this this week, you know, and we probably need to keep better records and we'll get better at that. But uh, as again, we're sometimes just too busy doing it. But mm. we have... Um, hundreds of calls every year. I know you do at Premier Christian Radio too and the Lifeline and so on. Um, uh, but, you know, well over a thousand inquiries every year. Week in, week out. There won't be a week that goes by when we're not giving advice to street preachers right. or yeah. to ministries yeah. as to what they can do, how they can go about things. Absolutely. So all of that stuff, you know, yeah. all of that stuff we're doing. Well, the, the one I wanted to talk about, just because uh, we've got a bit of time yeah. on this, was Victoria Wasteney, who yeah. is a senior NHS occupational therapist. And uh, according to your website, yeah. I, I quote, was suspended for nine months after giving a Christian book to a Muslim colleague. Yeah. Uh, end quote. Now, obviously, to most Christians, that just sounds horrific. Yeah. But but others have then said, well, we've looked at the judge's ruling yeah. and we feel it's a bit more complicated than that. So apparently this colleague was given Christian DVDs. She was invited to church events and she kept declining this, yeah. saying, you know, no, thank you. Um, she was she was invited to pray and invite Jesus to come into her spirit. So it wasn't just a one-off event. It wasn't just Victoria Waste and he handed somebody, you know, yeah. it, th- these cases aren't always that simple. Well, let me tell you the story of Victoria uh, Wastenay. Um, fantastic, fantastic uh, woman, senior occupational therapist. The um, the young colleague that came in was new um, to the um, NHS. Uh, Victoria was her boss. Um, she was um, from a Muslim background, um, and Victoria took her quite under her wing. Um, and uh, the they were both interested in human trafficking. And as a result of this, there was a the, the 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 young the new colleague came approached Victoria, and they had a lot of chats about this. Victoria ended up taking um, this colleague to her church um, because she was interested in human trafficking. So there was a lot of uh, relationship uh, go uh, and so on. There was a vulnerability around this colleague uh, as well. Um, the time that the incident that um, the, the the colleague's father. Was um, who was a Muslim was unhappy about her going to church. It was after this that the complaint came in. There was only ever a, one complaint. The case was then based on what Victoria said 
to her bosses about what happened because the complainant never came forward to any other part of the process. And Victoria admitted that she gave this young lady a book, I Dare to Call Him Father, when the young lady was going into hospital. She admitted that she put her hand on her knee, on this colleague's knee, and prayed with her because the colleague had been upset. Mm -hmm. And she prayed prayed with her. Um, And so the whole case was founded on what Victoria admitted she did. Right. With this colleague. Because as far as she was concerned, her conscience was clear and this was just normal behaviour. But the the judge in this case said that the issue in this case wasn't that Victoria Wastney was pushing a particular religious point. The judge said it could have been a a particular political point. It would have been the same case. It was more the pressure that apparently was being put on this Muslim colleague. And the the, the thing about this, the the colleague never came to give evidence. Right. There was never... This this was the most most extraordinary thing. You see, it was very... See that what I began to see it get twisted. I right. remember I was involved in this from the very beginning, from the very beginning of the discipline, the when the disciplinary process. Well, just after, as in just after, when Victoria had already um, spoken to her bosses and told her bosses about what she'd done with this colleague, which has taken her to the the human trafficking. Um, pr- that she'd prayed with her and given this book. Mm. This was deemed to be. Um, Too breaching much, her position, yes, and it, and yeah. that and and that and it was it was on it was that that was mm. used. But this was something. It Victoria said that the way in which she was ultimately described, she mm. didn't recognise herself. Yeah. Well. yeah, yeah. I mean, it throws up all sorts of really difficult questions, I guess, for a lot of Christians who would think, well, where is this line between? Because I think most of us can agree. Look, there is there is good relationship based evangelism, call it what you will, yeah. and most of us can agree as well. Yeah. There is there is a line, and there is just really enforcing your faith on someone yeah. and going too far. And I guess a case like this, you know, Christians who work in public life might look at it and they might come away confused, like where is where is this line of how far can I go in sharing my faith with someone before yeah. a judge will deem it to be too pushy? Well, I think um, again, some of these cases you can you can only well you couldn't make them up. To be honest, you couldn't make them up. They're crazy. And the findings of fact, I don't recognise. Um, and that's the world that we live in. And there are more of them. And it's tougher. So, and what the impact of this, the impact just generally in our culture, um, is that people are, I mean, I think Christians are more inclined to keep quiet. Uh, more inclined to withdraw. Less, I mean, less inclined... Well, or more inclined to actually think twice before sharing their faith at all at yeah. work because they've seen a lot of bad yeah. stories. Sorry, yeah. That, I mean, this is... Yeah. Well, I have to say this, that we now have hundreds and hundreds of clients that have come through and some that are known. So not one of them says, I wish I hadn't done that. Not one of them. Even those who've, you know, lost their jobs it, or... Yeah. Yeah. Because they know they stand and their faith has been strengthened um, as as a result of it you know we don't create these cases these people this is not a climate that we've created this is not how i imagined my life was going to be what's happened is that people come and find us and these high profile ones yes these are the few high profile ones the 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 daily labor the daily labor Mm. of the phone calls 
um, day in day out all of that that you know that's that's hard graft you know so given all that we've talked yeah. about um are you optimistic about the future of the church in this country? I mean, we haven't had time to go into the fact that you're a member on General Synods, yeah. uh, also a very, very critical member of the church wing, it should be said. I mean, you're often speaking out on air as you think the church wing has gone wrong. So given the, the problems, the pressures you've experienced in the courts, given how you feel like often the institutional church is going in the wrong direction, I'd imagine you're not much of an optimist when it comes to the future. Um. There is a great and glorious hope and one day every knee shall bow and our job as the bride of Christ in this nation is to be the prophet and the priest to the king, to parliament and to be fearless in that. We need to be vocal and visible for Jesus Christ and his truth and we need to keep on pressing on speaking on. It does break my heart that not just the Church of England, but our church generally um, doesn't seem to sound a clear signal on many of the issues. On mm. many of the the the, yeah. the the issues. I mean, someone might say, "Look, look, Andrea. There's lots of other great Christian denominations out there. There are those that really will hold to the truth on these things. Why stay? Why are you still part of the Church of England?" Well, I mean, again, I think what's quite interesting there. Um, because I don't want to always lay, um, you know, lay the, you know, finger at, or I haven't quite got all my terms right there, at the Church of England. But, you know, where are the other denominations in terms of really speaking to, to the, to, to the, to the king? I mean, I don't, I get me, but, you know, where are the Baptists? Where are the Methodists? Where is the Free Church? Where, where, you know, where are the Pentecostals? Where are any of us? Where is our, where, where is our, you know, where is our presence? Where is our united voice to say that marriage is between a man and a woman? That we are born male and female? That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by him? Where is that really vocal and visible so clear to the watching world in our nation? How this great nation where missionaries would go across to other lands with their coffins... That, that they would sacrifice their lives to take the gospel. We are scared of bad Twitter feeds. You know, we, we are so concerned about appearing to welcome that uh, to reflect the culture as opposed to contend and set the culture, which is what our, our forefathers did. When they took the gospels to other, when they took the gospel to other nations, and now those other nations look, and they say, "How did that happen there?" And I think, "How did it happen here?" You know, Britain has a great and wonderful history. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's history. It wasn't because we were British that that we were great. It was because our systems, of course, humanly flawed, because we're humanly flawed, but our systems contended for Christ. They did. Whether in our parliamentary system, our judicial system, our education system, our health system, mm. um, our, you know, all of it. Yeah. And it worked. And the world said, the world looked and said, how now do they live? 
It's the gospel. That's why corporate witness is gospel witness, is gospel, is evangelism. And that's how a nation flourishes and therefore people flourish. That brings us to the end of the show today. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Christian Concerns' Andrea Williams. You can also read my write-up of that interview in the latest issue of Premier Christianity magazine. Just go to premierchristianity.com where you can request a free sample copy of the latest issue. Not only will you be able to read that interview, but there's news, features, reviews, loads more content to enjoy. Get it completely free. Just go to premierchristianity.com. That's all we've got time for this week, but we will see you next time.